morning and welcome to episode 78 of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name's Gus Logue, joined as always by my co-host John Shipley. John, you look a little bundled up today. You getting you preparing for the winter months ahead? I am, and I specifically I specifically ignored my blue hoodie. <laughs> I, I, I know how much I resemble a blueberry. Not the blueberry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But 78 episodes. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, 78. Yeah, that's that's crazy. We're gonna have yeah. to like I mean, we're doing this over Zoom or whatever, so I don't know if we could share a cake, but I feel like we gotta do something special for number hundred. Yeah, it, it, we're nearing the episode mark to where this pod would be eligible to be a columnist for a small Northeast Florida football team. <laughs> there you go. I mean, what other qualifications would you really want other than yeah. that? Big week. Big Huge week. week. This game looked a lot different like 10 days ago. <laughs> like, yeah. Coming off the Texans game, the Jaguars, it felt like they were like really hitting their stride. They just picked up like two decisive division wins. The only losses to, were to like a rolling San Francisco team, Kansas City in week two, and CJ Stroud in week three. It like two weeks ago, it felt like a very successful season. Kind of feels like the wheels are coming off a bit, you know, since then. The, the Jags have emphasized this week that they're not panicking. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence said this week that he was like, if we were into this position last year, we you know, something like along the lines of we would have taken it. <laughs> like, right. eh, I, think, I think you'd still take a better position than the one you're <laughs> in now. Like they, they've basically like they're not going to say they hate the position they're in, but there hasn't been a single person like at the podium this week who has been like, yeah, we, you know, we don't like the spot they were in. They, you tell there's a sense of urgency, but yeah. Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night. Jags now eight and five. Like an hour before the Bengals game, people probably thought like this game would decide in the number one seed in the AFC. It, it basically the Jags' only path to a number one seed now is winning out and hoping Baltimore loses to San Francisco next week. But like I, I posted, you know, if you go to my Twitter, look at my pinned tweet, you can see the different percentages of you know the different scenarios over the next four weeks how they can make the playoffs and somebody asked me to do the number one seed and i just i refuse to do that until let's <laughs> see they can beat you yeah know. you should ask me again after sunday yeah. right yeah 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 <laughs> I, I, I ask me after this game and then we'll talk about it. like for now i am don't ask me about the one seed don't talk to me about the one seed don't even look at me if you're thinking about talking about the one seed yeah it's it's a big one though and i mean just like it really feels like they're getting the Ravens at the worst time too. Cause with the Jaguars playing their worst ball, doesn't it feel like the Ravens are like playing their best football this season? Totally. I mean, like they've just, they looked great all year, but I mean, they've really started to gel, especially on offense, like in the second half of the season, which is expected since they added two new re- starting receivers. Uh, and then they have a new offensive coordinator and then like the Mark Andrews injury obviously hurts them. Cause that's easily their best pass catcher. And that's like Lamar Jackson's guy that were drafted in the same class. But I mean, Isaiah likely has stepped in pretty well. He's a pretty insurance, pretty good insurance policy for Baltimore. So this this Ravens defense looks pretty legit on both sides of the ball. I think. I mean, San Francisco kind of seems like they're in like a tier of their own right now. Like as just as long as they stay fully healthy, San Francisco is like the top dog kind of. But I think Baltimore's the best team in the NFL after them, mostly because of like how balanced they are. Like they've got just a really good unit on both sides of the ball. And then obviously like when you've got John Harbaugh and Justin Tucker, then your special teams will typically be pretty good for the Ravens. So yeah, this is a, it's a big game for sure. Those the Jags were eight and three after the Texans loss or Texans win at that point, they had, two wins in a row and they were both over AFC South divisional opponents, but then they had that Sunday night game or Monday night game. And if they had won that, they technically would have been the one seed for one full night. Uh, because I think, <laughs> I think like the chiefs or the dolphins or someone like, I don't know. I think it would have like only been for like really one night. Uh, and then like someone else w- was going to overtake them, but then obviously they- two straight games against AFC North opponents. They lost to Jake Browning. They don't deserve us pontificating about 
the potential yeah. one seed scenarios of I'm just saying I, I'm I'm with you. They were like right there, and then like the past two weeks have been obviously brutal. And so like last week I was talking on the preview show about how like they seem to be so good at like bouncing back against adversity for whatever reason. And then we didn't really see it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether it happens this week against uh, probably arguably the best team they'll play all season, I guess behind San Francisco, but then also like in a prime time spot and at home, which was a major struggle with the last time we saw it two weeks ago. Yeah, it was funny. Somebody asked Trevor Lawrence this week about, you know, getting another primetime spot. And he was like, it only matters if you win. He was like, yeah, we had Monday Night Football a few weeks ago, but, you know, they lost. So, definitely, you you know, just talking about, you know, leading off of the Jaguars' offense. They've, to their credit, I know the offense hasn't been as prolific as anybody expected, but here are some of the defenses they've played. Cleveland Browns, number one in EPA per play. They're about to play the Ravens, who are number two in EPA per play on defense. 49ers are sixth. Saints are seventh. Falcons are eighth. Steelers are ninth. And that's what, like six teams in, in the top ten? But yeah. it, it's very much the Jaguars' way to face, like, the two best defenses in the NFL in <laughs> back-to-back weeks. Like, I mean, we talked about this last week. Like, why the Cleveland, I felt, was a must-win game was because this game is so, you know – the opponent is so tough. So Jaguars offense is not a lot going right with it. It felt like like the Tennessee Houston Cincinnati game, the passing game had like been more of what people expected. Trevor Lawrence was playing red hot and then everything kind of went to hell, you know, in Cleveland. I, I don't think you can put all of it on Christian Kirk, you know, being out of the lineup, I, I think Cleveland having a top defense is definitely a part of it. But you look at, like, the state of the Jaguars' offense, they I don't think they know who's starting on the offensive line on Sunday yet. You know, Ezra Cleveland, Walk Little, both injured, both limited in practice this week. I'd imagine both will be questionable in some facet. Uh, we talked about Blake Hans' struggles at tackle last week against Miles Garrett. I feel like that would only be – like, I – I feel like the health of the offensive line is one of the biggest storylines this week, just because of the way the Ravens generate pressure. It's they're not a team who's like lining up four guys and just going like the 49ers, maybe like they're, they're going to scheme up pressure, you know, like, like Mike McDonald, he's going to throw a bunch of different things at you. And, and when you have an offensive line who has so many moving pieces, I think that's when you start to see that factor in because communication is that much, you know, more important. And, the yeah. right side, like from center to right tackle, has stayed intact, but they've had, I think, six different starting combinations this year. And I th- want to say 11 or 12 different combinations that played on the field. And I That's think crazy. all all but one or two of those combinations, yeah, all but two of those combinations have been just changes at left guard and left tackle. Like there's like Anton Harrison left for like a quarter in week three, and Brandon Sheriff left for like a half in week six. Otherwise, the right side stayed intact that to right. me is the big storyline to watch this week guys because like you look at the Jaguars offense they can't run the ball already you know I I think it's a mixture of the offensive line struggling I also think it's a mixture of maybe you know like their top running back isn't really the guy who can make things happen with a bad offensive line and then the pass catchers are not on the same page with Lawrence they're missing you know his security blanket so this is already an offense that has to throw the ball to move the ball but now you're doing it behind and leaky offensive line who, who's been injured, a bunch of moving pieces, and he's throwing the guys who, you know, like the two guys he trusts the most, one's Evan Ingram, who I think is probably the best skill player, like, as of this moment. And the other is Zay Jones, who he, he just hasn't, even since he's came back from his injury, he hasn't looked right. Like, he look, he, he look, he looks slow. You know, like, it, yeah. it, it, it just it doesn't. And I think you can see that even, you know, in games, in practices. So there's just a lot of things not going right for this offense right now. And now you're getting the buzzsaw is the Ravens defense. Is there anything about this matchup, like offensively, that you know you can really be positive about? No, I would say like the, <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I, I do see like a path to the Jaguars winning, and that's kind of like establishing the run. And, of course, that like – like in order to like kind of establish the run really lean into the run, you'd hope to be efficient to do so. 
but the Ravens this year are top three in EPA per play allowed and success rate allowed against the pass. Uh, and they're more middle of the pack against the run. Uh, and a large part of that is that they rank third in usage of light boxes and third in usage of two high shells on defense. And so they are top five in success rate out of those, but like they've got a lot of light boxes basically. And so like, you're going to have to like take advantage of those light boxes and try to run. Uh, last week when the Rams played the Ravens, they started out with seven straight runs on their opening possession. And I think that's like kind of what the Jags are going to have to do in order to like get a win. And like, if the runs aren't working and then like, you're not able to like build passing plays off of the run, then like good luck against this Ravens pass defense, in my opinion. But then if like you're somehow actually able to manage just three or four yards of pop on the ground to ease up the passing game. Cause I think like the thing that would help like Zay and Ridley and guys like that the most is just like taking pressure off of them and like not having Lawrence drop back 50 times. So I think like, I think, uh, there was a graphic going around last week that ETN had a bunch of carries like to the perimeter, but only like one, two carries inside the tackles last week. And so I think like they, even though it hasn't worked for most much of the season, even going back to last year, the running game, I think you like at least have to try to lean into it a little bit. The only three running games worse by worse by EPA per play this year on the ground are the Jets which understandable with that offensive line and that play caller and the quarterback situation. Right. The Chargers with Austin Eckler look like he's running in mud. Josh Kelly looks like he's running in slightly less slowing mud. And then the Giants at 32nd. And the Jaguars, otherwise, like they're like a bottom three, bottom four running team. I just – I don't feel like they, they're the team that can take advantage against – struggling run defenses, which I don't even think it's fair to call, you know, like you said, they're middle of the pack. Like Ravens, like they're 13th in run defense, like EP. Yeah. They're, they're good run defense. It's just that they're not nearly as good. For sure. Regards it, to it defense. feels like the Ravens strategy is like kind of like the opposite of the Jaguars. Like they want to play for the pass and they're willing to sacrifice some stuff against the run. And I feel like you can do that when you're playing offenses that aren't good running the ball. And I just, there's so much, wrong with the Jaguars running game. I, I, I think from the running back to the offensive line, primarily to, I don't know, like even the tight ends, I feel like I've struggled like in the running game recently, you know, like Evan Ingram, like, yeah, he's not a blocker by like trade. Like obviously he gets paid to be a pass catcher, but you play tight end. Like you're going to have to block. Like it's, it's not a people, you know, like to theorize, especially during draft season with these like Dalton Kincaid like tight ends, like, oh, you can just put him in a slot. He doesn't have to ever block. And that's that's just not the reality. <laughs> you know, like you play tight end, you have to block. And right. Ingram has struggled a bit blocking in recent weeks. Luke Farrell has been really hit or miss this season. Brenton Strange, it feels like only really plays in 13 personnel. So I maybe maybe that's a part of it. Maybe if they get Brenton Strange back this week, do you think maybe that changes things? Because one, you can use more 13 personnel in the ground game, and two, maybe you can generate more shot plays out of play action. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about his usage because last week I bet an over on Tank Bigsby, and that was horrific. I, uh, so I, don't, I, I do think they're going to use more 13 personnel and like try to like run out of that and then like create some shots out of that. I also think that Jamal Agnew coming back could be a pretty big deal because like. I know the Jags fans like are rarely excited to see him on offense, and I don't. I'm not necessarily advocating for them to get the ball into his hands, but I think just having him out in the field is a. He might be a little bit better than Parker Washington at this point. I mean, they they seem just as reliable, honestly, but like he's like much much faster than Parker Washington, and so just like having kind of like the threat of Agnew on the field is a lot different from having the threat of Parker Washington on the field. So I think I think both Jamal Agnew and Brenton Strange could make like minor differences. That's odd. You didn't get the the memo that Parker Washington is their best wide receiver. I did not get that memo. Yeah, it, it's it, <laughs> it was sent. It was it was sent this week. Oh, oh wow. I guess that brings us to our next one. Like the, the receivers like the passing game obviously has to be much more cohesive than it was last week. They, that's what makes last week, I think, so 
baffling, like how off the passing game and offense were in general. Like their, their 27 points were fake points, in my opinion. They had two really short fields due to turnovers, right. and they had a garbage time drive when the Browns basically were just letting them get those 15-yard like completions underneath. To me, they had one good drive all game, and it, it ended in that Parker Washington touchdown. The big talking point all week has been the wide receivers and not being on the same page. Are they running the right routes, et cetera? Chris Taylor, you know, set the record straight yesterday. Nobody is like – to me, when you say somebody's running the wrong routes, it means to me that they don't know what the hell is going on and they don't know what, like, like the actual play is. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously, you know, not the case. It's just there is a very, like, thin line and especially, like – like route running is very nuanced, you know, like just saying running a wrong route is a very general term. And I think it's a good example of it. like they're running the right routes, but the specific like timing and how they're reading coverages, like people don't think about like how receivers have to read, you know, zone coverages and stuff. You're not just running a slant that looks the same way, no matter what, like it's Madden or something, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's been, that was their issue in, in Cleveland. The copium, is that that's because Trevor Lawrence didn't practice last week really at all. But I'm still hesitant to say that was that big of a factor because, I mean, he's thrown with Zay Jones a million times. He, he he was in, what, game 13 with Calvin Ridley? Like, it was our 13th game together. Like, you should have a little more chemistry than that. Those kind of mistakes, like Press said yesterday, I thought he, this was another important point. Those kind of mistakes happen in games, like, all the time to all like yeah. every team. Yeah. They don't always result in turnovers. And they just got incredibly unlucky that all three resulted in turnovers last week. But the pass catchers clearly have to be more cohesive and on the same page with Lawrence this week against another really good pass defense. Do you see that as something that can be fixed like over the course of like seven days? Especially like I think you have to factor in the strength of you know the strength of opponent, obviously. Yeah, I'm not so sure because I think like the biggest area where you saw like Kirk's absence being missed is in like uh, quick game, but like quick game specifically against pressure. Like whenever Lawrence was pressured, he was looking to obviously get the ball out quick. And like Engram came up big a couple of times, but like whenever it felt like whenever he was trying to get the ball to Ridley or Zay, like quickly when he was getting pressured, it just like didn't really work out either because they were covered or like there was timing issues or like they didn't settle in the zone the right way. It reminds me of uh, Dak last year when he threw a bunch of interceptions and, like, there was a whole, I don't know, debate or whatever in the offseason about whether Dak was good. And it's like uh, – like, if you actually watch the interceptions, like, a lot of them are fluky and, like, were tipped. And then a lot of them were also just, like, miscommunications with receivers in a similar way where it's, like, Dak is expecting them to, like, settle in a zone, but then, like, they keep going. And so it's, like – even though the interceptions all fall on Dak's like box score or whatever, like none of them are really actually, or uh, most of them weren't really even his fault. And so it kind of felt like that last week too, where like three interceptions certainly doesn't look good, but I don't even know if like some of them were poor decisions for sure, but like you definitely can't put all the blame on Lawrence. And so. I I don't even know if any, honestly, I would say reported like, Poor decisions, or even poor throws. It just, it it just felt like an extremely unlucky, you know, game where, you know, it, it was a great example where like the football comes down to the margins and the tiniest of you know details, and it, like when you're not hitting on those, it's it's you know not not going to look good. So, I I definitely think that they obviously need a big week from Ridley. You know, this week they, they need a big week from them, you know, every week. But I think, especially, you know, on third down, I thought was a big area where, you know, they missed Kirk last week too. Rid, Ridley and Zay were targeted eight times on third down last week. And, you know, they combined for four catches. So that wasn't obviously, you know, I like Trevor just doesn't have, I think, the connection with either one of them the same way he has a connection with Kirk. And, you know, Kirk's value to them is really that he's, you know, Lawrence's security blanket. You can debate his contract and stuff all day long, which I think is a very fair stance to take. But when you're just looking at his pure impact to the team, like it's clear, like he's like Lawrence's guy he goes to when, you know, 
things are going wrong. And think when you play against Cleveland's defense, things go wrong often. When you go yeah. against Baltimore's offense, things are going to go wrong often. So I'm interested to see who is like his like quick answer this week. Gus, you got anything else on the offense? No. Okay, well, let's do it. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, Gus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. My bad. That's on me. That's on me. I'll, 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 why don't I, why don't I do what, uh, what Trevor did on Sunday? Like, <laughs> Come on, guys. Look at me. Right. It reminds me of there's a, a bit in Always Sunny where like Mac and Dennis have this like, I don't know, back and forth about control or whatever. I don't know. They have like this weird thing between them. But then like Mac like won't look Dennis in the eyes at one point in this one episode. And Dennis just goes, Look at me when you're speaking to me. And so like that that like voice was like echoing in my head as like Trevor was doing the look at me. <laughs> it's good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. All right. Now to defense. You know, last year, one of the most exciting games of the Jack season was Jags Ravens. You know, Lawrence and Lamar got into a shootout. Lawrence was like 29 and 37 for 321 and three touchdowns. Lamar, like his stats look slightly less impressive, 16 of 32 for 254 and one touchdown. But I came away from that game. I, I specifically remember, like, that was the first time I watched, like, Lamar, like, in person. I came away, like, thinking, like, Dude, holy shit. <laughs> like, this guy is, like, <laughs> crazy. And, like, he was, like, uh, a lot of people don't remember that game, how many drops the Ravens had. I think Mark Andrews had, like, three drops alone, like, with one yeah. or two of them in the end zone. Yeah. Lamar had that crazy deep shot to Deshaun Jackson, like towards the end of the game, to give Justin Tucker like a shot to win it. Like, look, look, so but Lamar's, I don't know, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that Lamar has ever struggled as a passer. I think he's like always been like a top like five or six like passer in the NFL, like since his MVP season. Passer too. He's not just like good like rolling out of the pocket. He's yeah. like a he's, he's he's good from the like it, people just they don't understand. They don't understand us. They don't so, they don't watch the ball, John. They they don't no they, they don't they, the ball watchers and the ball knowers is at an all time low rate but <laughs> I think you're getting like the best version of Lamar since his MVP season. I know maybe the volume numbers don't reflect that, but to me, their drop back passing game looks the best it has in his entire career. He has weapons. Odell obviously isn't prime Odell, but he can still go. Zay Flowers. Prime Odell from time to time. Yeah, good point. He had a great game last week. Um, yeah. Zay Flowers looks electric as a rookie. He looks like the kind of player the Jaguars struggle with. Like the Jaguars just struggle with those like like guys who are just lightning quick in a phone booth. Like him, Deontay Johnson, they've always struggled against for whatever reason, they're the one team in the world that Kadarius Tony is able to have good games against. So just those kind of guys. I, I feel like Nelson Aguilar has been honestly solid this season. Better yeah. better he's than he's solid wide receiver four. Yeah. And then obviously Isaiah likely he isn't Mark Andrews, but he I, I can very easily see in my head Isaiah likely running, you know, buck free like <laughs> even the joke did last week. So that to me is the biggest like let's just start there. To me, the defense's issues, and I tweeted this out yesterday before somebody started tagging the Jaguars defenders in it and saying to fix this. So I took it down. I, yeah. I, I hate when people do that. Dude, it's so terrible. I like, I, I, had a tweet that I was like calling someone out from the athletic, and then like people started tagging the author. It's like, come on, like, don't, don't, don't do that. Tagging the players is like way worse. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's it's trash. So before before that, it was like the Jaguars before their bye week were number three in EPA per play. Since then, the number 27th in EPA per play. They've allowed 30 or more points in three different games to the 49ers, to the Bengals, to the Browns. The last two games, like, like backup quarterbacks have diced them up. And I know Colin, like Flacco is a backup quarterback, even though he is, in my opinion, the best quarterback on their payroll. Like I, I think he's a better quarterback than Sean Watson is right now, but it, he's yeah. still Joe Flacco. And Jake Browning, yeah, Jake Browning's looked better than anybody thought he would, but 
he's still Jake Browning. You know, like, it's still like get real people. You know, so <laughs> now it's Lamar Jackson. You know, like he's not Jake Browning. He's not Joe Flacco. And to me, the defense's biggest issues these last couple of weeks. Uh, they've obviously have had a lot of issue with play action. I think all of Flacco's touchdowns last week were on play action. Yeah. To me, the reason they struggle play action is because of the linebackers. And we've talked, like, the first, like, 10 weeks of the season, the linebacker play was fantastic. It feels like it's fallen off since then, you know, especially against play action. It seems like every play action play, Foye is crashing the line of scrimmage, and Devin Lloyd is basically standing still, like, <laughs> kind of watching things develop while guys are running behind him. And, I mean, you can see a – I, in my personal opinion, I could be wrong. Najoku's first touchdown last week was on Devin Lloyd, who basically just stood there, you know, on a man man pressure. And the second one was on the linebackers too, because you can see as Najoku's coming around, as you know, Oluokon is crashing line scrimmage. Lloyd is like pointing at him, like, "No, dude, <laughs> you got him, bro." And yeah. The, the linebacker play, especially the last two weeks, I feel like has been dismantled by play action because of that. Like you have one guy who's more of a like need a line of scrimmage player, and then another guy who it just seems like like the, like the last few weeks has just kind of been trending in the wrong direction. And then of course, you know, the defensive line. Now, they're not getting much of a pass rush. Trayvon, he's better than a year ago, but he's still not, in my opinion, good. Like that, there's. No metric out there other than ESPN pass rush win rate that suggests that he is, which leads me to believe that they're the ones that are wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you're literally the only one saying he's as good as Josh Allen, I'm, I'm going to assume that there's something wrong with uh, your data and how you interpret it. And yeah. I, I think a big thing is we've talked all year how the Jaguars' defensive strategy is to for, like stop the run on first and second down to force those third and longs. I think they've struggled on first and second down in the last two weeks. You know, yeah. we talked about it after the Cincinnati Bengals game. My cat just me out. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, that was uh, a I was like, what is going on? Yeah, no, he, he he's he is over he's just over one, so he's just kind of growing into it. So oh, just, yeah. don't don't judge him too hard for it, please. He's very <laughs> he's very self conscious, much like his father. But but nonetheless, I we talked about it with the Bengals game. But the Bengals like force the Jaguars to go light on the defensive line. And by light, I mean like a nickel package, like Josh Allen and Trayvon, and then just two defensive tackles. You saw Cleveland do that a good bit too, and the Jags just cannot stop the run of that. So it seems like teams have figured out, like if you stop the Jaguars from putting like their heavy formations on the field, the defense just isn't the same. And the weird thing is where the most injuries are at, in the secondary where they've missed Tyson all year, where they've missed Cisco. Like basically since week five and week six, Tyson and Cisco have been not really there. Like even when Cisco plays, he hasn't really been Cisco. Even when Tyson yeah, played, he hasn't been when compared to like when he was in the first month of the season when he was putting together like a Pro Bowl case, he definitely hasn't been like the same caliber of player. Exactly. But what's weird is the most injuries, the most significant injuries are in the secondary. I feel like the secondary is the only part of the defense playing good right now. Good is a word, but yeah, I mean, I think like the linebackers problem is that they're like overcompensating for the defensive line up front because like obviously the linebackers and the defensive line kind of like work in tandem and work to like make each other's jobs easier, especially in the run game. And so like the Jags have been not a very good run defense pretty much since their bye week. And so I wonder if that's like Foyer just like trying to like do everything he possibly can doing his miles jack impression i guess of just trying to like be everywhere at once uh to like help solve every problem uh yeah it'll it'll be interesting because the ravens like there was a lot of talk about them doing a lot of 11 personnel this season and they definitely have like increased their three wide receiver usage rates uh like since last year now that they got flowers and odell in the building and I don't know. I, I was going to say Rashad Bateman is a little bit healthier than he I was. Forgot about him. <laughs> not healthy, so I completely forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, but like the, I think the thing to look out for for the Ravens is like whether they have their fullback on the field. Holy cow! I can't forget. I can't believe I forget his name off the top of my head. 
he was a big part of the game last year because he got like a couple of random third down targets and didn't do anything with them, and that helps Jacksonville pull out the win. Do you know the Ravens fullback off the top of your head? Patrick Ricard. Patrick Ricard, yeah. Patrick yeah. Ricard is a big player to watch. Uh similar to like the like Brendan Strange and Jamal Agnew coming on the field for the Jags offense, just like small schematic tweaks that can happen when different players come on the field. I think when uh, Patrick Ricard comes on the field, then they're going to be in uh, a lot of two running back sets and they're going to be running a lot of uh, gap schemes, which could hurt the Jags offense this year. The Jags defense or could hurt the Jags defense this year. The Jags defense leads the league in run defense against the zone runs in terms of EPA per play success rate allowed total yards allowed first downs allowed whatever you want uh the Jags are the best defense in the league against zone runs uh against gap runs though they rank 31st in EPA per play and 25th in success rate and so uh like press was talking about the Ravens defense and was talking about like how their two defensive tackles Michael Pierce and Mata but the 2k I'm sorry I butchered that I don't know how to say his last name but the guy who's on a contract here and he's been awesome They've got two really good de- defensive tackles who can like hold up double teams and then let their linebackers, uh, Rokon Smith and Patrick Queen, and then Kyle Hamilton, who's a safety that almost plays like a linebacker, uh, just like let them rover around sideline to sideline. And so I think like Jacksonville just like doesn't have the same thing that Baltimore has right now, where they've got two defensive tackles who can actually handle a lot of work up front rather than like needing three guys because like you were saying earlier when the Jags are in like base or when they've got like three down linemen then that's like when they're best because then they can like really shut down the run and get into good late down situations but I think when Ricard comes on the field then you should be thinking uh-oh uh this could be a gap run and the Jags could get gashed there and then whenever Ricard is off the field then like the Ravens will be in three or four wide receiver sets and be like spreading everything out. Uh, and then I think that's when you got to worry more about the pass defense because like Tyson and Andre Cisco are both like questionable for this game, I believe. And they're both limited in practice on Thursday. So there's a chance they suit up even if they suit up, like, as we just said, they're uh, not really fully them. And then Trey Herndon has missed a game and a half. And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about like, Lamar Jackson with a good receiving core against this kind of banged up Jags passing defense, especially if like the Jags aren't able to get the Ravens into any third and longs. Yeah, a hundred percent. This Ravens offense has been incredibly efficient, especially on, you know, early downs as of late. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, like it's obvious. Like it's much easier to stop the run when you have three, 300 pound guys on the field <laughs> instead of two, you know, and it, you're exactly, you know, right. The Jaguars don't have those two guys in the middle. They went into this offseason, I think, thinking they did. You know, they extended Roy Robson-Harris, extended Devon Hamilton. I'm not going to knock Devon too much because his situation is just different. And yeah. you know, nobody could have foreseen, you know, anything of what happened to him. But I, I think that, you know, obviously Robson-Harris, I – so not counting non-moves – like you can say like any of their non-additions that whether offensive line or in the draft or pass rusher were their worst moves, but not counting Don, it's just counting the moves they actually made. Robson Harris's extension is the worst move they made, right? I think I honestly don't think the money is that bad for it. Like I think if you ask him to be like um maybe not like a role player, like uh, like, but if if you ask him to be like a low end starter next to like other good players, like I think the contract is fine, honestly. But then like when Devon goes through his thing, and then like Foley goes out for a game, and then all of a sudden like Roy Robertson Harris is like the anchor in the defense, then you can definitely run into trouble. But honestly, like I think he's like a good leader and kind of like almost like the face of that defensive line, and like so I, I think he's, he's the only one who plays every game. What he said? He's the only one that plays every game. Of course he is. <laughs> I mean, he definitely not gold stars. He usually gets like worse and worse in the run game as seasons go on. But I don't know. I, I think, but I think the contract is fine. Yeah. It's just that how many tackles? Like, it's all on him now. How many tackles for loss do you think he has this year? 
three. had seven last year. You think he has three? Yeah. One. And one and a half sack. Like, I was going to say, are, are, are sacks technically counted as tackles for loss? I don't know. <laughs> so, we'll, so one point five sacks and one tackle for loss. So, very potentially the same play. He's paid like the twenty fifth best defense tackle in the league. Is he the twenty fifth best defense tackle in the league? I, I don't. No. I, 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 so that's to me is the problem with the middle of the defense line is they paid two guys and really three guys who fought Akasi, you know, with his contract. And I'm not saying they gave them like a hundred million dollar contracts, but when you pay three guys. You're putting resources into that. You expect that unit to play better. And when it only plays well, when they have three guys on the field, I think that's an issue. And, you know, Fadakasi, Hamilton, Robson, Harris all just haven't been those impact guys this year like they're being paid to be. And I think it's had, you know, a trickle-down effect. I agree with you. I think for a – I think Caldwell, like a lot of his blitzes and stuff, his big issue last week I thought was too many man pressures like you know throwing the zone pressures like too many man pressures yeah. but it feels like he's compensating for the lack of play it's made up front by anybody not named Josh Allen which you know you do that this weekend it's it's a death knell. yeah no it's curtains uh since the week nine by the Jags ranked 10th highest in usage of blitzes or I guess 10th highest in blitz rate and they were ranked 29th in success rate on blitzes so I think it would definitely be a bit wise to dial it back. I felt like they were like just really trying to chase after Joe Flacco and Jake Browning and trying to like force turnovers out of them or just mistakes yeah. out of them. But I think it would be they'd be better equipped to have more of a game plan that they had against CJ Strat a couple of weeks ago, where it's like they're sending just three man pressures sometimes and like getting eight people on coverage and just like in zone coverage too and like having a just like all eyes forward especially since obviously Lamar can hurt you with his legs so yeah. I would, like they're gonna have to like mix in blitzes here and there to kind of like try to force wonky stuff wonky stuff and keep Lamar on his toes kind of but I think generally speaking they'd be better off kind of like holding back a little bit and playing like playing a bend don't break style of defense which isn't really Mike Caldwell's on though because he's from Todd Bolt follows his tree and like wants to be aggressive and wants to get after the quarterback. But I think this week, like you're just a little like outmanned uh, with like the injuries that you have on the defense. And then with like the caliber of quarterback and offense that's coming to town, I think you got to be able to adjust a little bit and just, again, like make it bend, don't break. Like <clears throat> even if you're not getting into a bunch of like third and 11 situations, like maybe just try to get into as many third downs as possible. Would be yeah. what I'll do. No, I'm with you 100%. I guess. Got anything else on the defense, my friend? Uh, nah. Actually, okay. I, I got a take, which is that the Jags are taking a defensive tackle or defensive lineman in the first round. I, I, I think I think it's, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's defensive lineman or offensive line. I, I was originally on the offensive line train. Like I said, uh, that guy from Duke was going to be their first pick a few weeks ago and like I still kind of like that take but like usually go back on that <laughs> <laughs> well I just after thinking about it a little more I guess like interior linemen are like much more of a day two or day three pick like you rarely see uh interior linemen go on day one and like if you do it's like an objectively great center like a Tyler Linderbaum or like uh who like whoever the Titans picked last year like who's like a tackle who's then converting to guard um so like I think if I think they will draft interior linemen on offense, but I would expect it more to be like in the second through the fourth round. And then same with her receiver, because I think we've talked about this before where it's like I'm sure Balky will add a new face or three to the receiver room in the offseason, but I'm not so sure that he's gonna make a big swing to do so. Especially with like the Jags already paying the receivers a lot of money next year with like I mean Kirk alone, but then like assuming Ridley is playing for you, like that's two like sizable contracts. And so you're probably not going to want to give out a big one in free agency or draft a guy in the first round. So I think, I think that like all roads lead to defensive tackle being first round pick for the Jags in April. Counterpoint. You cannot expect the Jaguars to draft like a modern team. <laughs> They've drafted three linebackers in the top four rounds. They've drafted uh 
you know, a backup running back in the third round, a backup tight end in the second round. They they do not they do not subscribe to the your Howie Roseman way of uh, modern day drafting. I would not hate the best available safety because I feel like like whenever a safety is picked in the first round, like I mean Derwin James isn't really the same guy he used to be, but Derwin was sweet at the beginning of his career, and then Kyle Hamilton has been ridiculously good for the Ravens this year. He's like. He's like the new Derwin. He's he does everything. He's so good. Uh, so he's his injury will definitely be one to watch because I think he's was limited in practice this week after sustaining yeah. a knee injury last week. Um, I, I, do, I do think like too like sign sign me up for a first round safety. I think that'd be cool. Branch Branch has been awesome for the Lions this year. It, 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 it does. I don't know the bulky ball. Branch has been best in the slot. Did he find a slot in Antonio Johnson three rounds later? Uh, I don't you know. Ball, my friend. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm excited to watch more Antonio Johnson, but like, he's a day three rookie, so I, I'm yeah. trying not to like put too many expectations into it. Yeah, and I, I think just before we break, real quick, I think another good point to your point about drafting defense linemen in the first round. I think they have to replace at least three interior defense linemen this offseason. You have to replace Ledbetter, who is one like. Just a guy, really. Blackson, just a guy, really. And then I'm expecting them to move on from Foley Fadakasi. So, you know, Tyler Lacey can replace one of those guys, like rotational snaps. But then that's two other spots you got to fill. So, definitely seems like that outside of Godstis, Robson, Harris, and Devon, and Lacey, that interior line needs to kind of be rebuilt this offseason. Gus, we're going to cut for a quick break, and we'll be right back with our picks and predictions. Sounds good. All right, Gus. I'm gonna give you my lock of the week. Okay. All right. Okay. We finally, we finally got some prize picks on here. Travis Etienne under 14 and a half rush attempts. Baltimore's, Baltimore is going to come out firing. They're going to score early. Trevor, I think, is going to throw it 40 to 45 times. And Etienne only has one game since the bye week with more than 14 carries, and that was against. Houston? Yeah, Houston. Yeah, he has games like 14 carries, games with 11 carries, games with 12 carries. Like, they they can't run the ball. It seems like outside of that little, like, Houston and Tennessee stretch, they stopped trying <laughs> to run the ball because they know they can't run the ball and they know their only way of staying in this is throwing it. I got another one for you. Logan Cook over one and a half punts inside the 20. Go ahead and put – What? Yeah. Go ahead and bet the mortgage on that. He's going to have two punts inside the 20. And then Foya Luakon over 10 and a half total tackles. That 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 feels like a – I feel – he had like almost 20 tackles against the Ravens last year. So <laughs> I, that's a good bet to make. No, I, I like and, that one. I, and then last one, Evan Ingram over 50 and a half receiving yards. 50 and a half? 50 and a half, yeah. Oh, okay. I see – okay, there's like – there's two things on – they, 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 Price Picks has like a weird like promo going on for like Christmas where like you can pick a little red demon that's a harder prop to get or a little green demon that's an easier prop to get and they have different payouts. I'm I'm, I'm ignoring ignoring the Christmas demons. I'm, I'm going okay. straight, yeah, straight no, up. I, I don't know what that was. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was going to say my lock of the week was Evan Engram over receiving yards. So 50 and a half because like I think I also expect Lawrence to drop back a lot and for them to be in a negative game scripts um and like i think zay and ridley will also get plenty of opportunities to go over their respective props but like against another elite defense like after what we saw last week i can't like confidently suggest that but i think evan will be able to get his uh i think etn over receiving yards could be a nice play like we saw like he etn got over like 50 receiving yards i felt like in one uh, garbage time drive last week. I forget if it was the end of the game or the end of the first half. But... It, 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 it was the end of the game. It was like right before it was like the, their last touchdown drive. Yeah. So I think ETN over receiving yards could be another one. Um, I'm not sure. Have you seen a Jamal Agnew line? Go to hell. <laughs> You're sick. All right. You're sick. Um, I'm getting you a, a Gamblers Anonymous help book for Christmas. <laughs> 
That was sick. Do I see a Jamal Agnew line? That's a plea for help. <laughs> what you said over 1.5 punts down inside the 20 by Logan Cook. That seems like a That's... wild line to me. I thought you were just going to say over 1.5 punts. No, inside the 20. Inside the 20, yeah. Lock it in. All right. I think – Oh, man, that's tough. He's a he's 100% sure going to get one. I feel like he gets one every game. We'll, we'll see. Um, I like Gus Edwards over rushing yards because he's going to be, like, the main benefactor of uh, Baltimore's, like, strength against weakness of gap runs against the Jaguars. And then, obviously, Gus is a cool name. So, Gus Edwards over, Evan Ingram over. That's really all I got. I feel like this – that's you. Zay so is Zay's at 39 and a half receiving yards. If you were me, so I, I, in my fantasy playoffs, I have both Keaton Mitchell and Gus Edwards. You would start Gus Edwards? Yeah. He's also okay. the goal back. Like, Mitchell is cool. Oh, I've got a good trivia question for you. Well, Mitchell is cool, but, like, Edwards just gets more volume. And I'm going to start Edwards, but if I lose, I'm putting, like, a cherry bomb in your exhaust pipe or something. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Fair. Um, in the Super Bowl era, so since 1966, uh, Keaton Mitchell has a highest yards per carry of any running back in a single season, or the second the second best yards per carry mark in a single season of any running back with at least 35 carries since the 60s. Can you guess who has the all-time highest single season yards per carry mark? Fred Taylor. No, it is. No. Leonard Fournette? It's not a Jaguar. James Robson? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? Go ahead. Uh, Devon A-Chain, fellow rookie. So it's pretty wild that like two rookies are putting together two of like, the most efficient in a way. Where And where did the Ravens find Mitchell? Uh, pretty sure he was undrafted. He was either undrafted or seventh rounder. Crazy how that happens. Yeah, I mean he's he can't do anything in pass protection and like he's <laughs> obviously <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah I uh, I think Keaton Mitchell will like get his too like I I've got both Mitchell and Gus Edwards overs like written down in my big cat article right now but I I like Gus more than Keaton if I had All to right. pick one I'm, I'm gonna start Gus and if it May God help you if, if it doesn't work. But, all right, predictions, I'll start us off. I got Ravens 30 to 10. I, I, I think it's going to be a brutal, brutal beat down. I'm prepared to be wrong, but I'm sorry. I've picked the Jaguars in so many – like, I feel like every game the Jaguars have lost this year, I've picked them in, and I'm not – I'm not going to be the one who says that they, they're going to be the Ravens. Like they're, they're just – they're playing their worst football right now. The Ravens are playing their best football. The Jags – I feel like the quarterback is still playing relatively well, but the pass catchers are not. He's missing security blanket. The offensive line's an issue. They're not running the ball, et cetera. And then the defense has fallen off a cliff against, I think, one of the top MVP candidates. I don't care about how many touchdown passes he's thrown. Lamar's like to me, it's like Lamar, Dak, and Tyreek are like, and you, Christian McCaffrey, I think, are the four most valuable players in football this year. Yeah, no, I, I like that take. I think, I think that's a pretty clear cut top three. I would agree with that. Where it's, Dak. I still think Brock Purdy's gonna win. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm hoping, I think Dak has like a pretty, like, he plays at Buffalo this week and he's got like a couple of big games. So I'm hoping that like Dallas is just able to like win. So that in for the sake of his MVP candidacy, because then like if they drop a couple games and then Purdy keeps lighting up, lighting it up, like I'm scared. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see a Brock Purdy MVP. It's, no, it's bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going 27 to 17. So I guess that's just a 10 point game as opposed to a 20 point game that you predicted. But I'm I'm in the same boat as you, where it's like. The teams, I feel like, are, like, kind of going in opposite directions. Uh, Lamar is definitely, like, as you kind of said, it's, like, less of a statistical uh, narrative and more of just, I guess, a narrative narrative that Lamar should be the MVP. Like, if you just, like, watch him, you can tell the impact yeah. that he's making and how big it is. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm definitely not expecting the Jags to cover. And I think, I think like, best 
possible, like the best possible outcome for the Jags is that they lose by like four or five points and they can like call it a morale victory because they like stuck it close with the number one seed for all of a Sunday night football game. Yeah, I, I think that the Jaguars, their best outcome this weekend is waving their tiny yellow flags and hoping that the Steelers beat the Colts because I, if the Colts are Texans, I don't expect the Texans to beat the Titans with Davis Mills at quarterback, but if either one of them wins, things uh, get interesting this weekend. So, Gus, you got anything else for me, my friend? Yeah, one more take. The Jags need to hire a run game coordinator. There's not one listed on their staff site. I would assume that most, if not all, responsibilities go to offensive line coach Phil Rauscher, but it's also possible that it's like – um, like the run game is kind of like broken up by a bunch of different like coaches and assistants. Like you handle like this situation of the run game, you handle this situation of the run game, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think like clearly go ahead. When he was hired, it was reported as offensive line coach slash run game, run game coordinator. I know it's not listed, but when he was hired, I, like that's what all the big leagues reported him as. All right. So hire – an assistant offensive line coach, maybe, is my take. Like, I, like you think they, they don't have one? I was talking to Mia the other day. She said they don't have one. Yeah. Do they have one? Yeah, Todd Washington. Okay. Don't gaslight, well, don't okay. gaslight me, Gus. Hire Phil, like Phil Rasher, like we both approve him. He's done a good job. But like hire a run game coordinator from Miami, from Mike McDaniel's team, because like. I feel like like we've talked about how Doug is like a quarterback at heart and just wants to rip the ball. And like I feel like that's kind of the same deal with press, especially like when you're coordinating an offense that has Trevor Lawrence in it. And so like I think they like they need some juice in the in the yeah. running game. And I think like like we've talked a lot about like, oh, is it the running backs? Is it the offensive line? Like what's what are the issues? I think like I wouldn't call coaching an issue, but I think like it's an area that could improve. And so I I wouldn't mind seeing the Jags make a hire to like bring in kind of like a run game expert in the off season. Yeah, um, that that I can much more get on board with. They don't have an assistant. Don't guess like me for Christmas. <laughs> Man, I, yeah, I'm just saying. I think the they only made two uh, like coaching hires in the past off season, and it was just hiring Chad Hall to replace the old receivers coach. And then, oh, man, there was one other one where it was just, like, a position coach left, so they had to, like, bring in a new guy. And so I, I think it'll be interesting to see this offseason. Like, I'm not, I'm not expecting, like, major shakeups at all. Like, I think the people who are, like, expecting anything different in the front office or, like, the coaching staff big time are, like, going to be let down. But I think, like, it'll be interesting to see if they hire, like, just one or yeah. two different guys to, like, help bring something new. Yeah. Well, you got any other? Jim Bob Cooter. Jim Bob Cooter left, and then they hired uh, whoever the passing game coordinator is. That was the other one. There you go. There you go. All right. Got any other staffing takes for us, or are we good to boogie out of here? Now it's boogie. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back on Monday. Not sure if it will be Monday morning. Gus and I haven't talked about it yet. I'll talk about it right now. <laughs> I'm not going to do Monday morning, Gus. <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you Monday afternoon. Right. Okay, that works. Yeah. Right. Monday right. afternoon. Sounds good. Thank you guys for joining us as always.